the name of Jesus, Amen. You be seated. When God became man in Christ, he voluntarily refrained from the glory that belonged to him. In other words, when God took on flesh, he hid his holiness by becoming a servant. And he endured what was far beneath his majesty and exposed himself to all kinds of ill treatment and the discomforts of a lowly life. Throughout his life here, he hungered and thirsted and wept and bled and he slept. But today things are different because Jesus goes up to the mountain and he allows his glorious majesty to be revealed to the sinful mortal eyes of Peter, James, and John. When Jesus transfigured himself on that mountain, he for a short moment, a brief moment in time, stopped restraining his heavenly splendor and let his glory and his might shine from his flesh. And while, he, while, while still retaining his humanity, he lifts the veil of his humility and shows his disciples what the angels of heaven see. As his face was glowing like the sun, his clothes are gleaming white. He gives them a glimpse of that ineffable celestial light, the light that no darkness can overcome. He brought them there to bask in the beams of glory that were bursting through the pores of his skin. And as Jesus' disciples were covered with the weight of Christ's greatness and grandeur, Jesus began speaking with Moses and Elijah, who though having died thousands of years before, were still alive like all the saints who die with faith in him. The Gospel of Luke tells us The Gospel of Matthew tells us that they were talking, but the Gospel of Luke tells us what they were talking about. They were all talking to one another about something specific, and it was Jesus' own departure. The Greek word there is exodus. Jesus' exodus that he would accomplish at Jerusalem. In other words, they were talking about Jesus' bitter suffering and death that was about to take place for the sake of the world. And in the middle of this holy conversation, Peter chimes in and says, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then scripture says that Peter said this not knowing what he was saying. And as Peter is bumbling out this ridiculous idea, God cuts him off. And says, this is my beloved son, my chosen one, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when they heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. And after God had spoken these words, all of the glory and the majesty and splendor vanished from their sight, was hidden again beneath Christ's humility. When they looked up, they saw only Jesus. So as awesome as it is to imagine what the disciples felt and saw and experienced that very day on that mountain, we're going to focus on the verbal exchange that took place. We're going to learn why Peter was wrong. He's right in saying that it's good for them to be there, but why he's wrong. What exactly was the problem with what he says? Well, in order to understand this, you have to understand what Peter has said Previously in his life. In fact, not too long before this very moment of the transfiguration, in fact, just one chapter before in the scriptures, Jesus began teaching his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he has to suffer many things at the hands of sinful men, that he has to be killed, and that on the third day he's going to be raised from the dead. And what was Peter's reaction? He rebuked Jesus and said, God forbid it. This will never happen to you. 
And that's when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me because you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So today, when Peter was basking in the glory of Christ's transfiguration, he hears the conversation that Jesus is having again about suffering and dying. And Peter doesn't want to have it. He doesn't want to listen to that. He's acting like a spoiled and bratty child saying, look, I don't want that. I don't want some Messiah who dies for the sins of the world. I don't want some king who lays down his life and is torn apart and whose breath is pulled out of his lungs. I don't want the glory or I want the glory of heaven and I want it here. I want it now. And I don't want any suffering. So when Peter says, Lord, it's good that we're here, I'll make tents for all three of you. He's really saying, look, forget about that cross. Don't go there. We'll stay right here on this mountain. We're nice and comfortable here. We've got heaven on earth. Forget everything else. Let's keep this what we have right now and forget everybody else. And this is precisely why, while Peter is still speaking, God cuts him off and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Just as Peter rebuked Jesus for going to the cross, God rebukes Peter for such a thought of preventing him from going to the cross. And truth be told, this is God the Father saying to Peter, shut your mouth, stop talking, And listen to what Jesus is saying because you don't get it. You don't know what needs to happen for your good. You don't know what is good for you. I do. Listen to him. Just like Peter, we need to be reminded to close our mouths and listen to Jesus as well. We have the sinful inclination to do what Peter wants. To prevent Jesus from going to that cross. But since we can't take back the fact that he already went to the cross, what we do is something a little different. We do our best to take him off of that cross. Quite literally, many churches have done this already. Sadly, many churches have fallen into this sort of mentality. They have pictures and paintings of Jesus everywhere on this planet in a manger, blessing the children walking on water. But the one place that they don't want to ever see him is on his cross. It's as if we're so comfortable seeing Jesus doing anything else except for doing the one thing he came to do, the one thing he became incarnate for. That is to suffer and die for the forgiveness of all and every single one of our sins. And when people remove the image of Christ on his cross from the church, soon afterwards they oftentimes remove Christ's crucifixion from their ears. And you see this reflected in the sermons that won't speak of his death and resurrection. You see this in the hymns that don't mention his passion, his suffering, and his atonement. You see this all throughout the literature in the church that less and less this, uh, the, the, the focus on Christ and him crucified goes away. What happens is they don't want to hear this conversation about his suffering and death anymore. They want something more glorious. Even more, you see how there aren't enough seats in this church for Christmas and Easter every year. But hardly anyone can be bothered to cross the street for Good Friday when everyone deserts him, when he suffers alone, when he weeps in bitter agony. 
You see megachurches all around you and on TV bursting at the seams, teeming with people who give up anything to follow some seven made-up laws to spiritual success or how to live their best life now or how to find purpose in their life. They fill their churches with their own thoughts and ideas and empty talking, and while they're talking, they can't hear the voice of Christ who's telling them what he has come to do. You see, young and old pour money and sit on the edge of their seats in churches with programs and events and light shows and rock bands. But when the gospel of Christ is bleeding, uh, the, the gospel of Christ bleeding and crucified for the forgiveness of your sins is preached freely from the pulpit. You see people yawn and drift away and fall asleep. You pick up books on how to grow your church bigger and all they tell you to make it more successful is to stop talking about Christ and his dear cross by talking about something else. And so left and right, churches are too busy talking to hear what Jesus is saying. And that's because they don't like what Jesus is saying. So they stopped listening to him long ago. But even when you're in a church that decides to know nothing but Christ and him crucified... And even when you have a pastor who will not shut his eyes at night before and until he is certain and sure that the sermon is going to preach Christ's death and resurrection and his forgiveness, you still fall into the temptation not to listen to those words. Even when you sing hymns that preach Christ's atonement, you fall into the temptation of writing them off because you don't like the way they sound or because they're not your favorite. You fall into the temptation of talking while Jesus is talking, thinking about other things while he is trying to forgive you, filling your minds with the cares of this world while he's caring for you, paying attention more to your feelings and boredom and worry instead of listening to the words of Christ that he speaks so clearly here today. And you fall into the temptation of devoting countless hours and energy into doing anything, even attending board meetings and discussions more than you do showing up to hear his word and study it. You fill your mind with anything else but hearing the words of Jesus. And as just as Peter said, it's good for us to be here. We not only want Jesus far from his cross, but we want to stay very far from ours as well. It's not that we only want Christ to not go through suffering, but we want to avoid our own suffering too. But Jesus himself says to us, as he told to Peter, if any of you would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And this is strictly what we don't want. Your sinful flesh hates the fact that to follow Jesus means to live a life of self-denial, a life of repentance, a life of suffering. You want glory now, but your glory will be delayed. You must grasp the glory of God through faith, even while you don't experience it here. So to be a disciple of Christ means to live a life of repentance. It's a life of swallowing your pride and confessing the truth. Even if it brings you trouble, it's of being honest. Even if it brings difficulty to your days, it's a life of persecution for the sake of his word. And yet so many times you stop listening to Jesus and talk while he talks. You make excuses for your sins. You do whatever you can to avoid the consequence of sin and punishment that follows. When Jesus points out your sin, instead of repenting, you oftentimes babble excuse after excuse and speak lie after lie, trying to defend yourself 
and get yourself out of it. You try to defend yourself by pointing out the sins of others as if that's going to take his eyes off of you. Instead of letting Jesus talk about your shameful sin, you clap back with resistance and excuse and denial. You sweat and you blush and you writhe with anger just to get Jesus to stop talking about all these things that make you uncomfortable. All these things that you don't actually want to hear. All these things that are not very glorious to you. And this is exactly why God must interrupt us with his word here today. And why oftentimes he silences our mouths with suffering. This is why he tells you to stop talking, to close your lips, and to listen. He does this so that you can hear him speak and talk about his departure, about his suffering and his death. You need to drop all of your defenses, all of your talking, all of your excuses, and listen to Jesus' words that tell you to live under the cross on which he died. You need to listen to Jesus teach you that you shouldn't shun his, his suffering because by it you have eternal life. You cannot have God's glory unless Christ dies. So when you stop talking and listening, when you stop talking and when you start to listen, you hear that Jesus teach that you cannot have even a glimpse of heaven without the turmoil of his death on the cross. You cannot have the hope of eternal life without the shedding of his blood. He teaches you that he came to this earth to be on that cross, and that's where you must find him. If you avoid his cross, you avoid his heaven. If you get rid of his suffering for you, then all of your suffering is in vain. But if you pick up your cross and you follow him, if you close your mouth and listen to him, you'll see and hear where he goes. He goes to the cross to win your salvation and your joy and your glory through his suffering, through his death, through his sweating, through his bleeding and his dying. If you close your mouth and listen, you'll hear him forgiving all of your sins, crying out, it is finished there from the cross. And on that cross, Christ was pierced for your transgressions and wounded for every single one of your iniquities, no matter big, how big or small or how overwhelming they might seem to you. On that cross, he was cast out of heaven and plunged into the darkness of death and condemnation. And on that cross, he won your salvation and eternal life that cannot be taken away. He earned for you the light of eternal life. So dear saints, listen to Jesus and all he says to you here today. Jesus tells you he must be delivered over into the hands of sinful men and die for us. So permit it to be so. Don't close your ears to his innocent passion and his painful death. And don't deny your cross of suffering and persecution, but follow him. Meditate on his anguish as we enter now the time of Lent. Turn your eyes back to his cross and see all that he goes through for your sake. All he does to achieve your joy and earn for you a weight of unending and undying glory on that final day when he promises it to you. Learn that through his pain, you gain salvation. Through faith in Christ's death and resurrection, you will gain the hope of the future glory revealed to you in Christ. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.